All right. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, when you got it, say so. And it says here, it says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each man examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. God, we thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your truth that we find in your word, God. We just honor you today, and we thank you so much for loving us with the everlasting love by which you love us. We thank you, Jesus, because what you did on the cross is a completed work. We're not waiting for something to be finished. You declared it is finished, Lord God. And so we rest in that hope, Lord God. We thank you because we realize, Lord God, that you are great. You are greatly to be praised. And so we ask you, Spirit of God, to speak to us in this place. Encourage our faith. Empower our faith, Lord God. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to your church. And by faith, help us to live out the truth of your word, God. I praise you, and I thank you for the privilege to share with your people. I pray these things in Jesus' good name. Someone said... You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, if you do not have an outline, raise your hand so the ushers can get you one. We want to make sure everyone has an outline. Those outlines are for our connect groups. Those connect groups are our small groups that we meet weekly together. And so if you don't have a connect group, we encourage you to get in one. Pastor Chad is here today. He is sitting in the front. He is finally back with us. Can we welcome him back home? Amen. It's been a while, glory to God. He has a new baby in the house, and so soon we'll be able to meet his new son. Um, but make sure you see him if you're not in a connect group, because he will get you connected, find out what is going to be the best place for you. Connect is a place where we get together weekly outside of the Sunday service, where we share in the Word of God, where we communicate the truth of the, of the gospel to one another, where we go over the sermon that is preached, and we hopefully encourage each other in our faith. We hold each other accountable. We pray for one another. We minister to each other's needs. And so, as we say, often sanctification is not meant to happen alone. Amen? So you should be in community, you should be in relationship, and so that's the purpose of that. So you have those outlines there. Also, before I get into the message here, um, this right here is our Easter, Easter service invitations, right? Amen? Good, good looking stuff, right, so far? Um, I like it. I think it looks really good. Um, it's something that I want you to take home today. Amen? Amen. Two per person, okay? And so here's the thing, and that's if you consider Faith Dome your church. If Faith Dome is not your church, then you don't have to take anything. We don't want you to just take it and put it in your car. We want these to be utilized for the glory of Jesus, amen? If this is your church, don't leave it in your car either. Don't just take two and be like, well, I'm not doing anything with it. No, we want you to take two of these. Why two? Say why two. It is because I want you to give this to two people, amen? All right, so on these in the front is just the invitation, just telling a person to join us on Easter Sunday, what time the service is and things like that. But on the back, there is a place for you to write your name, a place for you to write your number, and even a place to write your email address if you want to be harassed by them. Amen? All right, so the reason why you're going to do that is because you don't want to just leave this. I don't want you to do this. Don't just, like, leave this as a tip for your, you know, server somewhere where you're going. Are you here? Don't, don't just leave it there for someone. Hopefully they get it. No. I want you to personally give an invitation to two people. Don't you know two people who need Jesus? 
I would assume you do, amen. I'm just saying, I think we all know a couple of people that need, that need Jesus and don't have a church. And so what I want you to do is I want you to get two of these. There will be ushers in the back door when you're leaving. Make sure you grab two from them and then you take them, put your name on them, put your number on them. You don't have to put your email address, that's optional. Um, but you can please put your name and your number. Why are you putting your name and your number? Say why. The reason you're putting your name and your number is so that way they know your name and they know your number. <laughs> Amen? It's so that way they can call you if they get lost or if they have a question or something like that. You can be there for them. And so you want to do that to help personalize it. And when I say that I want it to be personal, it doesn't mean that it has to be someone that you necessarily know very well. It can be someone that you work out with at the gym. It can be someone that you work with that you don't really talk to. It can be that neighbor that you just wave at every once in a while. And you know what would be a great opportunity for you to go over there and say, hey, you know, this Sunday or in two Sundays we have this Easter service coming up, would you, would you be my guest? And then just give it to them. They'll know your name and number, and they'll be able to call you. And hopefully, we'll be able to do that. One other thing that I want to say about Easter, very important for me. How many of you pray? And I want to see a hand, a hand raise up in this place. How many of you pray? No, hold on a second. Hold on. Y'all like, Bishop, we pray. I didn't know. Let me finish my question, okay? How many of you pray for your Sunday services in this place? Good job. Praise the Lord. We have some praying people. It is extremely important. I didn't want you to raise your hand so you embarrass someone. So if you didn't raise your hand, don't be embarrassed, okay? I want to encourage you. You should be praying for every service, okay? You should be praying for the preaching. You should be praying for the teaching. You should be praying for the children's ministry, nursery workers. You should be praying for everyone that is involved in the service. You should pray for the guests that are coming. You should be praying. I mean, that should be one of the things you're praying for throughout the week. Why do you pray for the service? Because there is something called spiritual warfare. Say spiritual warfare. Right? And so there's things that happen to hinder what? To hinder us from sounding good? No. To hinder us from getting together? No. It's to hinder us from experiencing the gospel. That is what the enemy wants to do. He wants to stop that. And so it's important that you pray for these services. Pray for the people that come to church and think that they know Jesus and don't. Hello? There's a lot of things that we can pray for just for our Sunday service. And so the reason why I ask you this is because it's important that you do that. But I also want to encourage you, begin praying today for Easter specifically. And the reason why is because there's people that have come to church on Easter that won't come any other day of the year. There are people that will come to church because they grew up in a religious home. And they're like, you know what, I got to go to church. And you invite them because you know they have a background that's religious. They don't really go to church and they decide, hey, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and come to church on that Sunday. Well, guess what's going to happen? The devil is going to do everything he can to keep these people from doing what? From turning from their sin unto Jesus. And what we don't want is we don't want people to just come in here and say, hey, that was a great service. That was a great message. That was great, great, great. We don't want to hear all of that. Well, I mean, we want to hear that because we want to be encouraged. But my point is that that's that is not the end of what the result that we're looking for. We want to see people's lives change. And can I tell you something? Me as a personal testimony, I was a absolute 100% heathen that was lost. And I can tell you today that the reason why I'm here is because there were people in the church that were praying for me. Because somebody, you know, my mom was telling, my mom got saved and she was telling folks, she was like, y'all got to pray for my son because he needs deliverance. Hello. And they took it seriously, and they began to join in prayer. And I'm standing here today as a product of God's grace, obviously. But God used the vehicle of prayer to manifest his grace. And as I told you last week, one of the things that we should be praying for is what? That the switch of grace should be turned on in people's lives. That they would understand that they need Jesus, that they need the gospel. And so for this Easter Sunday, I ask you to please begin to pray. Begin to pray. I have, some, I have, I have someone that said they're coming, and I'm praying that they make it glory to God. And so... 
My hope is that you are, you know, utilizing that day as a day that people can come to hear the gospel and that they'll be able to hopefully give the like to Jesus. And I'll say one more thing and we'll move on into the message. It is very important that when someone comes to church as your guest, that you do not just leave it up to the preacher to lead them to Jesus, but that you follow up with them in love and in grace because if I didn't open up the altar, if, if they didn't respond, you need to follow up as a friend, as someone who cares, and ask them, hey, you know, what did you think about the message? And, you know, whatever they're going to say, and, you know, probe them, talk to them, and try to get, you know, get, get them to discuss what is going on in their life spiritually and help them to come to Christ because we should all be making disciples and leading someone to Jesus as part of that. Amen? All right, so Galatians chapter 6, we're continuing on in our series here, and in your outline you can follow along with me, but um, Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 through 5 is what we're going to be dealing with today, and so in your outline it says this, by now you should, we should clearly understand that we are saved by grace and that good works do not save us and that dependence upon our own works for salvation will only lead us further from Jesus, Amen. We know this, right? We, we got this. Paul was rebuking the Galatians because they were giving in to the lies of these Judaizers that were telling them to depend upon their own works, to depend upon the law for salvation. And so that is what the, the book helps us to realize is that when we begin to depend on the law, we begin to depend on our own works to be saved, something happens. And that is that we get further from Christ because we are no longer dependent on him for salvation, but we are depending on our, on, on our own ability ability to save us. And so we should understand this. Last week we began dealing with, or two weeks ago, um, we started dealing with Galatians chapter 5, where Paul begins to deal with some practical things. And so uh, as a practical outworking of grace, we saw that there is a pointed difference between living under the power and influence of God's grace and living under the power and influence of our flesh. Now here's the thing. The fruit of our lives cannot be fabricated. It either nullifies or validates the work of grace in our life. In other words, you can act good all you want. That doesn't make it fruit. Hello. You can be moral. That doesn't mean you're fruitful. Understand that. You can say no to a bunch of things, but it's not just what you say no to. When you look at the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit are something that, that is positive that God produces. God just doesn't produce in us obedience not to do stuff. He produces life through us, and that is what that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that's what that life is. You cannot produce that. But here's the thing is that the fruit fruit of our life, it either nullifies the work of grace, it either says, you know what, this person has not been changed or not being changed by grace, or it says this is a person who has experienced grace and is being transformed by the grace of God. But you can't make it up. You can't, you can't manufacture the fruit of the Spirit. It's something that is a work that Jesus does in our life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so today, we will look at another practical outworking of grace, and that is how we are called to deal with sin, with others, and self in the context of a Christian community. And as we were growing up, and I wrote in here, as we were growing up, we learned, and I'm going to say this, we should have learned. Say should have learned. Not all of us learned this, but we should have learned this thing, is that as we're growing up, the more freedom that we get, what happens? The more responsibility we get. Right. So, you know, you, you, you get to that age and you're like, yeah, you know, I want my driver's license. And you, you're so excited about that. But now you realize when you get behind the wheel, you may not realize it until you get into an accident. Hello, somebody. 
that now you are responsible to some, someone's going to pay for that, right? And so the moment that you are able to drive, see, before it was just on mom and dad to deal with that. Now it's on you to be part of this process. All of a sudden, insurance, hello, somebody. There's things, there's, you have great freedom, yeah, but guess what? Gas, that, 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 that tank, that thing starts going down to E, hello. Lights start flashing, stuff starts, you get all kind of signals. Why? Because you are driving. Now you got this great freedom, and what happens to us is that with that freedom comes responsibility. And what we have to realize is that grace, that, that grace or, or the freedom from the law, which is what Paul talks about, does not mean independence from one another. It doesn't mean that I come to Jesus and I'm no longer part of community. It doesn't mean that I come to Jesus and I no longer need someone else to speak into my life or I no longer am needed to speak into someone's life. It doesn't mean that. It means that I'm free from the law and I'm not depending upon the law in order to earn salvation, but I am living in this gospel-centered community the way that I've been called to live into that. And so before we move on, our memory verse, does anybody, anybody, anybody have this memory verse memorized and they'll be bold enough to come up here and share it? I had, a, I had a child do it last time, and no adult is going to step up. What a shame. Come on, somebody. Somebody got to have this. Mem- Sister Grace, are you going to come share it? Glory to God. Glory to come, come on, come on, come on. Come up here. Come, come, come up here. Amen. Hallelujah. I, I won't make you step up here. I'm going to step down, all right? But come on, come, come over here. But I'm, I am going to make you talk into the mic. Glory to God. Next week. Next week, someone else is going to do this, some other adult. Thank you. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Tuesday, hold it down. You hold it down. All right, go ahead. Okay. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not. Therefore. Therefore. Uh Therefore, do not again submit to the. You got it, you got it, you got it, you got it. Don't worry about them, just say it. (laughs) Do not submit again. Do not submit again to the The yoke yoke of slavery. There you go, there you go, come on. (laughs) All right, all right. All right, so we're all going to say it together. Next week, someone else is going to come up here. I know someone's going to be real bold and excited. Bishop, I'm going to have a line, glory to God, next week, amen. So say it together with me, for freedom. Christ, hold up, hold up together. Ready? (laughs) For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. One more time. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Amen? Amen. That's easy. That's easy. Glory to God. Next week, next week, we got some more people doing this. We got a couple more weeks here. So the first point that we're going to deal with today, say this with me. Say, grace Grace. makes sin sin. the concern of all the spiritual people in the church. Let's say it again, because y'all were like kind of died out on me. Say, grace Grace. makes sin sin. the concern concern. of all all. the spiritual people in the church. Grace makes all of us, everybody, when we get saved by grace, sin is not the responsibility of a, of a select few in the church. The Bible shows us, it says here in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, if there's anyone who is overtaken in a trespass, it says you who are spiritual. 
You who are spiritual. He, 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 he begins to designate who it is that's supposed to deal with sin within the church. And what happens is a lot of times we deal with, when, when we look at sin, we think it's someone else's job to deal with. Are you hearing me? We think someone else needs to deal with that. We see someone who has a foul mouth and we think someone else should tell them about it. Why? Why shouldn't you tell them about their foul mouth? Right? So here's the question. Let, 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 let's, let, let, let's think about this logically, right? And, and you know, just, just critically. Who are the spiritual people that Paul is talking to? Who, who, who are the spiritual people that he's talking to? Okay, so is he talking to the leaders? Is that who he's talking to here? He didn't say you spiritual leaders. Did he say that? That isn't what he said. He said you who are spiritual. So is it, is it the ones that are like the theologians, like the ones that really know the Bible? Are those, those the spiritual ones? Are those, is, that who, he's, he, is, is he talking about the pastors in the church? No, right? He is talking about those who are spiritual. When he deals with those who are spiritual, he is talking about all believers. It's not the super Christians. Hello. He isn't saying, you super Christians, that you guys go on ahead and tell everyone about their sin. That isn't what he's communicating. He says, you who are spiritual. He's saying anybody who claims Christianity must be spiritual by default. What does it mean? To be a Christian means that you are born again. Born again of what? Born again of the Spirit. And so that means that the moment that I come to Jesus by faith, I become one of those spiritual ones. I become one of those who is born of the Spirit. When you look up this word and he talks about spiritual ones, it, me, it, it can be translated um, two ways. Um, in the original, the way, one way is that it is to say those who possess the Spirit, or another way to say it is those who are possessed by the Spirit. And we don't like to say possessed by the Spirit because that sounds weird, but here's the reality. The reality is, is that when Christ is the Lord of your life, you are controlled, you are dominated and directed by the Spirit. And it does not mean, obviously you know this, it does not mean that you don't think for yourself. It doesn't mean that you don't reason. It doesn't mean that you stop you know, making decisions. What it means is that you are in a relationship with God and that God can, if you will submit to him, direct all of your decisions into alignment with his word and with his will. And so when he says you are spiritual, he's talking to everyone in the church. He's saying if you see any Anyone who is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, you need to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, lest you be tempted. You need to, you know, you need to guard yourself. And so what happens is when he talks about those who are spiritual, remember what Paul does. In chapter 5, he communicates and he says, you know, there's some things that should be happening in your life. First of all, we should be walking in the spirit. The next thing is we should be led by the spirit. And the other thing that he talked about is we should be bearing the fruit of the spirit. So here's what we do. We check our spirituality by what? By asking those questions. Am I walking in the Spirit? Am I walking according to the Spirit? Am I walking the way that the Spirit of God would want me to? Am I being led by the Spirit? Remember that word led? It's like a person who is a soldier who is marching in rank. Am I aligning myself to the Spirit of God? And when we look at the fruit of the Spirit, does my life bear the marks of that fruit? Or am I lacking in those areas? And so what I want you to understand is that sometimes we, we think, well, you know what? I don't know enough Bible, so that makes me unspiritual. No, that makes you uneducated in Scripture. Hear me. There's a difference. That doesn't mean you're not spiritual. Now, because of your lack of education, you may act unspiritual. Hello? 
Are you hearing me? Because you don't know what the Bible says, you may act that way. You know, you may not be a person you think, well, I'm not spiritual because I don't have a real deep prayer life. That means that you are immature spiritually for sure. That doesn't mean that you're not, you're not, you're not spiritual. Why is this important for us to understand? Because we have to understand in the context, what, we're ta- what, what, what I want to talk about today is a grace-grounded community, a community that is grounded in the grace of God. It is a responsibility of everyone to check each other in love. You're not supposed to check each other with your super Christian life, okay, and because you're so amazing, but we should all hold one another accountable to what? To our standards? No, but to the biblical standards. We are supposed to hold each other to the biblical standards. I want you to understand this. This doesn't deal with age either. What I mean is young people that are in this place, youth that are in this place, you that are, you know, you know younger, you know, you're obviously you live in the home with your parents. I want you to know that this scripture is speaking to you as well. This scripture is talking to you just as much as it's speaking to every adult, every, every adult in this place. And so it is important that we apply the scripture in our lives. So here's what we realize is that sin is an inevitable reality when humans are involved. Can someone say amen to that? It's the truth. Someone will be overtaken in some kind of sin. When you look up that word overtaken, it means to anticipate or to forecast. It means to overtake, to come upon, or to take unawares. And when you look at this word, it can be defined in two ways. It can be one is that someone is overtaken in a trespass. In other words, they're caught in that trespass. They're caught like they were doing something and someone caught them in the act of it. Or the other way that it is, is that someone is snared in this trespass. Someone is caught in a way like they were surprised. Now think about it. Nobody, no one in their right mind just walks into a snare. Amen? No one just is like, hey, there's a snare. I'm walking into that. That's exactly what I'm going to do. No one does that. And the way that Paul is communicating is he's saying someone who's overtaken in this way, someone who you may have seen or someone who may not even realize that they're in sin or that they have sinned, it is important that you who are spiritual, that you, why is, it, why is that important? You who are his brothers or sisters in Christ, that you come to this person and let them know about their sin. Why? Because we want to bring glory and honor to Jesus. And when there is sin that is running rampant in the community of believers, guess what happens? We bring dishonor and, 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 and no glory to who? To God and to the gospel. Are you here? If I'm living how I want to live and I am not living according to the standards of God's word, then guess what? I am letting the world know. I'm letting those that don't know Jesus, man, there's no power in this gospel. Because my life has not been changed by this gospel. If I don't love differently after I come to Jesus, there's a problem. If I don't speak differently after I come to Jesus, there's a problem. If I don't live differently after I come to Jesus, there is a problem. If there is no difference in my life from before I met Jesus to the time after I said I know him, there is an issue. And the issue is not Jesus. It is not the gospel. It is you. It is our heart that needs to be checked. And so sometimes people are in sin and they don't even realize they're in sin. I'll give you a funny story. Um, A few years ago, I was actually, I'm going to tell you how I was caught in sin, okay, unaware. And so I was preaching one, one Sunday. And as I was preaching, I was actually talking about how people make ugly faces in worship, right? I was talking about, man, people, you know, some people, they just make some ugly faces. And I was really trying to emphasize this word ugly. Well, growing up, um, I used to hear my uncles use this word. It was, it, it was an F and then ugly, okay? I'm going to say it like that because I learned my lesson. Well, I was up in front of the church, right? And I was like, man, you know, I'm, I'm like, you know how people just get ugly, you know? And I'm like, you know, and they get, right? And I said that word. 
And so to me, I was like, I just kept preaching, you know. And, and, and after the service, you know, someone came up to me and they were like, yo, Bishop, I can't believe you used that word. And I'm like, use what word? And they were like, and I was like, what, is that, what does that mean? And they told me what it meant. I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so from that point on, I make up words. So, I'm, so the word that I use is rugly, just really ugly. You just rugly. I'm just saying. Just, I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. But anyway, so I know what that one means. That, that's when I started making up words. I'm like, yo, I'm going to make it up because my definition is what matters because I know what I meant, right? So I'm not using something that they use because some folks are crazy. But anyway, I never knew. You know, I was a kid. I mean, seriously, I was like probably under 10, you know, or, you know, around that age when they were using this word. And it wasn't like anyone ever said, hey, Jason, don't use this word, Right? So I was, but I was overtaken. I was snared in a moment. And so, and someone lovingly, because I would have kept using the word. Imagine me in someone else's church saying that word. I'm just saying. Or in a conversation with someone, I'm like, man, that person is, I, I wouldn't say that. I'm just, I just wouldn't say that. I, I, I would not say. I was talking about people's facial expressions in worship. I wouldn't say someone. Thank you. Amen. So moving on. The, um, the thing is, you know, some people can be over, they don't know something is a sin. You know, someone comes to Jesus early on, right, and, and, and they come to Christ and they maybe, you know, maybe they, they had certain actions or behaviors that they thought, you know what, I'm not necessarily, and listen, people are going to say this to you all the time. The more people that come to Jesus, they're going to be like, well, I'm not convicted in that. You know what they're saying? I don't feel bad about what I'm doing. Now, can I ask you a question? Is there a possibility that you can do something that is sinful and not feel bad about it? I'm just saying, I'm, let's just throw it out there, right? Because I have plenty of people, and it can be about whatever the topic is, and I'm not going to use any topic because I don't want to incriminate anyone, but what I'm saying is, you come and you talk to someone about A, B, C, or D, and they're like, well, I'm not convicted about that, and because you can't give them a scripture that says that that is wrong, hold on a second, wait a second. There are some things that are wrong. There are some things that are sinful, and we need to lovingly. Now, listen, it doesn't mean that you need to be a legalist about stuff. Are you with me? I'll give you an example. Pastor Robert was telling me something a while back. He was telling me about a pastor in a church, and they do not allow the women to wear red. Eleanor, you are in sin today, okay? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Okay, I'm just saying, that's, that's like red. I'm a little colorblind. But anyway, so the point is, they don't, they don't allow women to wear, to wear red. Now, there's a reason for this, okay? Sarah would be in trouble because she's got red all over the place. But anyway, um, you know, but here's, here's the thing. They don't allow them to wear red, but you know why they don't let them wear red? Because it is a provocative color. Listen, they're trying to be holy people. Come on now. They're saying, listen, we do not want to be provoked. You could wear a scandalous dress as long as it ain't red. I'm, I just made that up. But here's the thing, okay? What, I, what I'm saying is someone got the idea. I don't know who it was because that is insane for me. But someone got this idea and was like, listen, red is a provocative color, so the women cannot wear this color anymore. And, and what they did was they forced their legalism on someone else. Now, let me ask you a question. Let's just be realistic. Is wearing red sin? In no way, shape, or form, right? I mean, it could be sin, depending on what you're wearing. But what I'm saying is, right, I, I just want to stay there. So the point is, that is not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about forcing your legalism on someone else. Like the Holy Spirit, see, because there are some things, and, I, and I'm going to move on from this point. But there are some things that are personal convictions. I'll give you an example. Pastor, Pastor Chad, he's, he, a while back, he decided that they were not going to have TV. They weren't going to have all this and that. That was a 
personal conviction, right? He doesn't get up here and say, yo, y'all are in sin because you have TVs. He doesn't come to my house and be like, yo, Bishop, man, you need deliverance. He doesn't do that, right? He doesn't try to force that personal conviction on someone else. That is not what I'm talking about when I say that, you know, something may not be black and white or whatever, and it can still be sin. What I want you to realize is that we as believers need to do what? We need to be discerning. We need to be in the spirit. Because remember that list of things that we dealt with in chapter 5, and it says, and the things that are like this? Paul didn't go and give you an exhaustive list of what sin was. What he did was he gave you a list that was representative of things that were sinful, and then he communicates and lets us know what he lets us know that there are things like this that are sinful and you can't live in that and so for us as believers when we see someone that is overtaken in any kind of sin then we deal with that how we deal with that by coming to them in love now, I want you to get this. When he, when he talks about sinning, he talks about falling beside or a false step, a blunder, or a failure to achieve. The sin that he's dealing with here, he's not dealing with a person who is living in blatant sin. He's not dealing with that person. That person that is dealing with blatant sin, I want you to understand how you deal with blatant sin in the church. The way you deal with blatant sin in the church, like a person knows, and I'll throw this one out there. A person knows the Bible says you should not commit adultery, period. That's what the Bible says. There's no question on that, right? It's black and white. For everyone in the room, adultery is wrong. Amen? Okay, and so if there is someone in the building who decides that they want to commit adultery and then someone comes to them and confronts them about their sin and they refuse to repent of that sin, the Bible shows us how we deal with that. That person cannot remain in communion until they have repented of their sin. Why is that so important? Because if someone continues living in sin, they start to become desensitized to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and then we set them up for an eternity separated from God in hell because they thought they were okay to live in sin among believers. We should never allow someone to live in sin like that. Living in sin and being caught in a sin that we repent of is something totally different. And so we need to understand the difference. It isn't someone who's just living ungodly. Those are people that should not be considered brothers, but they should be pursued with great love and great passion to bring them to repentance. Amen? I want to say this, when Jesus, when, when the issue here is not sin in, in and of itself, because what? Jesus died for our sins. He died for our sins. The issue is who is dealing with sin and how is sin being dealt with? That's the question here. He says, you, if you see anyone overtaken in a trespass, this is going to happen. The issues are going to arise. People are going to be overtaken with sin, and that is going to happen. The question is, how are we dealing with it? And I'll say this, overwhelming criticism of sin in the lives of others is a clear indication that someone really does not understand grace. When I become overly critical because I see someone who's caught up in something, someone who is doing something that's not right, I'm not, and again, please differentiate. I'm not talking about the person who is living in blatant sin. We need to call sin, sin. I'm talking about the person who is growing in grace, the person who is developing their relationship with Jesus, the person who is ignorant that something is sin. When we are overwhelmingly critical of them, it is because we don't understand grace. What grace does is it never ignores sin. It calls us to deal with those things for what? It says to restore such a one. Say restore such a one. That word restore, when you look at it in its original, it means to fix something. Literally, it means to re re replace a bone, to put a bone back into its place, to reset a bone. Now, do you think that it's painful to have a bone reset? 
I've never had a bone broken, so I can't tell you anything about that from an experiential place, but I would assume that it's painful. Hello. Right? I've sprained an ankle, you know, things like that, and that's pretty painful. So I can imagine having to have a bone reset and, 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 and dealing with that. And so think about this. When you're dealing with someone in sin, it can be painful. It can be painful for you and probably painful for them. Does that mean that we don't do it because it's painful? Does it mean that we ignore it because it's painful? Absolutely not. It means that we deal with it. And so when we look at this, what we find is that it tells us how to deal with it. It tells us what to do. We restore such a one. So my purpose in coming to someone isn't to condemn them, isn't to make them feel horrible, isn't to put them down. It is to what? It is to bring them back into communion, back into relationship, back into a right standing, back into their right place with God. That is the place that God wants people to be. And so we need to see that from where it is. Now, just to recap, what is the big sin that Paul is dealing with in this book? The biggest sin of all that he's dealing with in this book, he's dealing with what? He's dealing with depending on the law for salvation. He's dealing with depending on himself or depending on ourselves rather than depending on the grace of God. And so the heart is when we don't depend on grace is when we're going to find ourselves doing what? We find ourselves bound in sin. We find ourselves living in sin. We find ourselves ensnared by sin when we are not depending upon the grace of God. And so God calls us, number one, in community, we're all responsible. Say we are all responsible. Every one of us is responsible for the sins of our brothers and sisters, meaning that we should love each other enough to communicate with them. We see them in error. Repeat this after me also. Say, grace makes the burdens of others our burdens. Grace makes the burdens of others our burdens. That's the second point here. Grace makes the burden of others our burden. He shows us that we are supposed to carry the burden or bear one another's burdens in verse 2. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And verse 3 says, for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Contextually, what the Apostle Paul is calling us to do is he's calling us to feel the weight of being our brother's keeper. He is calling us to care about one another. He is calling us to be concerned about one another. He's not calling us to carry the load for other people all by ourselves. He's calling us to join together with people. And so how is it that we do that? Well, first of all, we realize that we are not the Savior, but we are definitely called to come beside our brothers and sisters and to encourage them. And he says here in verse 2, he says, when you're bearing one another's burdens or you're coming beside those who are heavy laden in their life or are going through hardship or difficulty, what we are doing is we are fulfilling the law of Christ. And here we have the law of Christ is what? It is the law of love. Jesus says that he gives us this new command and it's to love one another, right? To, to, to have this love like he has for others. And so when we are fulfilling this law of Christ, that is what we're doing. We're fulfilling the will. We are fulfilling the purpose. We are fulfilling what Christ started with his disciples. And we are living out that love to share with one another, to encourage one another whenever we're facing things that we're going through. So how do we practice this in a practical way? Well, we encourage encourage others during trials. We call others to repentance of sin. We help others tangibly during seasons of hardship. These are all practical ways that we bear one another's burdens, that we care, that we're concerned. When you look at the book of Acts, you find a church that was doing what? They were selling properties. They were bringing offerings where? To the apostles' feet. For what? So the way the apostles could live large? Was that the purpose of that? Was it so that way they could have, you know, no. It was because they were bringing it to the apostles' feet in order to share with the needs of the people. That's what they were doing. 
They were demonstrating a real concern for one another. They weren't just saying, hey, man, you can just freeload and live off of us. What they were saying is that there's a lot of poor people around us. There's a lot of people that are in need. And so what we're going to do is we are going to share tangibly in a practical way with those who are in need. There are many people in the church who call themselves Christians who walk around deceived, right? He said anyone who thinks of themselves more highly than they ought to, they deceive themselves right there. There are people that walk around and they declare themselves to be Christian. They believe what? You know what? I don't need anyone. I'm good all by myself. Paul is saying that's not true. You can't be an island, hello, as a Christian. You can't be all by yourself. you got to be part of Christian gospel-centered community. you got to be part of the body of Christ. You have to be part of whatever it is that God is doing and wherever it is that God places you. you got to be part of that. You can't just live in, 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 in solitary confinement as a Christian, meaning that you just stay away from church. I mean, you think about how many people you talk to. Think about this. How many people you know that say, man, you know what, I call myself a Christian, but I just don't like the church. They, they call it organized religion. I love, to, I love to respond like this. God is the one who organized it. Are you hearing me? I didn't organize it. Someone else. Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff that God didn't say do exactly like this. I mean, the way that we do our service. I mean, the way that we, you know, if you go to, go to 10 different churches and 10 different churches will do their service 10 different ways. And so God is not saying, hey, you have to do it like this or you have to do it like that. What he's saying is it should all bring me glory. It should all worship me. It should all honor me. But God is the one who established the idea of the church, not man. Hello. And so it's not an organized religion because men are leaders or men are the ones who are leading it. No, it's something that's organized because God organized it. And so we should, we, we, we should respond to God's will for what? For us to be in this community, for us to grow together in love, and for us to recognize that we need one another in order for us to grow in this grace that God has called us to. And I say it like this. You may survive as a solitary Christian, but you will never thrive in your walk apart from others. You may get by and you may think that everything is all good, but you will never thrive the way Christ wants you to thrive unless you're in real community with other believers. If you're not in real community with other believers, you will not grow the way that God wants you to. That's just the way that it is designed. It's just not going to happen. And so we have to be in those relationships. And so the first thing that we understand clearly is that grace makes sin the concern of all the spiritual people in the church. And that means everyone who calls himself a Christian, by default, you are spiritual. The second thing is that grace makes the burdens of others our burdens. So Christianity is not just about me. It's not about just me getting mine. It's about me being more concerned about my brothers and my sisters well-being it's about me making sure that anyone who is hurting I'm there to encourage that anyone who is needing I'm there to do whatever I can for them that means that I'm there to help people I am there to lift people up I'm there to build people up I am there to be part of their lives not just live my own life and get my Christian blessings hello the third thing repeat this after me say grace empowers our works to enable our rejoicing Grace empowers our works to enable our rejoicing. Look at verses 4 through 5. He says, but let each one examine his own work. Then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. And so you find in verse 2 that we are to bear each other's burdens, but in verse 5 we are to bear what? Our own load. 
And so it would sound like a contradiction, but it is not. The way that one writer explains it is he says that the load that is there in verse 5 is more like a backpack. It's something that you as a Christian are supposed to carry. You as an individual are supposed to carry that. The burden that is in verse 2 is something that we are supposed to collectively be part of as far as the grace that God has given us and he's shown us. And so we have here, though, an understanding when we look at these scriptures again, how do we deal with others? We're all responsible for each other. How do we deal with sin? We address sin. How do we deal with ourselves? We stop measuring ourselves based on someone else, and we measure ourselves based on the Word of God. Are you hearing what the apostle is saying to us? He's communicating, and he says, but let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. And so saving the saving grace, now hear this, the saving grace of any legalist is a sinning, immature, or ignorant believer. The saving grace of any legalist is someone who is sinning, is someone who is immature, it is someone who is ignorant. Why? Because they can always look at them and say they're better. They can always look at that person who is caught in sin and be like, you know what, I I don't live like that, I live holy. Their saving grace is that person who doesn't know the memory verse, the person who, you know, can't quote it every week. And listen, some of us struggle with that, and, and, and I really want you to get that in your spirit. It's not about the memorization of a scripture. It's really about the meditation of that scripture and getting the freedom that you have in Christ in your heart. It's not to be condemning. You know, I want, I want to see some people be more bold and come forward. But listen, I don't want to condemn anyone because I memorized a scripture and they didn't. That's not the point. The point is that someone is going and, and this In this context, these people will measure themselves, especially these legalists, they will measure themselves based on the lack of knowledge of someone else or the lack of obedience of someone else or the immaturity of someone else. And one writer says this, and I love this quote. He says, a man should prove his own work in the light of God's will and not in the shadows of somebody else's achievements. Each of us should measure ourselves in the light of God's word. We should measure. When he says to prove ourselves, when when we're supposed to look at ourselves, he's saying we are supposed to measure our lives. We're supposed to measure our holiness. We're supposed to measure our Christian progress in light of God's will. And where is God's will found? It is found in God's word. And so I measure my life. I look at my life not based on my friend in his shadow of a accomplishment or because here's the thing that when I am not living up to the standard of someone else I feel condemned and I feel less than God doesn't want you to feel condemned or less than he wants you to know that his grace is sufficient for you wherever you are at and his love reaches you wherever you are that's what he wants you to know that's what he wants me to know but here's the other thing is on one side I get condemned but on the other side I get prideful and so what I should do is I should measure myself I should examine myself according According to these scriptures, and I should look at my work. And then what does he say here? He says something that's awesome, I think. He says, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. So, so, so hold on a second. Is it okay to rejoice in yourself? Is that what the scripture just said? Isn't that what it just said? I'm just saying. Right? He said, then you will have rejoicing in yourself alone. Now, here's what you have to understand. If you're rejoicing in yourself alone in the wrong context, you rejoice in you, not in God's grace in you. Right? 
If you rejoice in yourself alone, because there are people, and hear me when I say this, it is the wrong mentality to think that you are to rejoice in how great you are. That is never right. Hello. We, we are never to rejoice in how wonderful we are, how amazing we are. We should, though, recognize God's work in our lives. We should recognize where God is helping us grow. We should recognize that, man, I used to struggle with this. I don't struggle with this anymore. We should recognize my prayer life was horrible before, but now I'm growing in it. We should recognize, man, I used to not read my Bible consistently, but now I do. We should recognize I used to be a coward in the face of people who didn't know Jesus and were talking against, but now I'm more bold. We should recognize that I'm growing in my love and my understanding of the gospel. We should recognize those things, but not in comparison to someone else, but in comparison to the word, because here is what happens when I am examining myself in light of the scriptures. First of all, I can really rejoice in the fact that God is working in my life, but you know what also happens to me? I'm also humbled because I realize how far I yet have to go. See, I wreck, it's, it's, it's not depressing. What it does is it keeps me humble and dependent. See, if I measure my life based on my brother or my sister, what will happen is I will at some point, hear what I'm going to say, in spirituality, listen, the, the, the ground is level. This is not sports or academics. This is the spirit of God. And at some point, I will arrive to where my friend who is more spiritual than I, I will get there by the grace of God. And you know what happens if I'm measuring myself by their spirituality? I will think I have arrived. You see, but when I measure myself based on the holy standards of God's word, when I measure myself based on the truth of the scriptures, I never get to that place that I think I've arrived because I realize that there is still so much more that needs to happen in my heart. And not just in my heart, but there is still so much more that I have to do in my life. Amen? I was, talk, I was talking with Brother Mark Olson, and I shared this in the men's meeting, and I, and, and, and I want to quote this the best way that I can, but, he, but he's, he has a passion for people to be successful in their lives and for you know, people to live to the fullness. And he said he was sharing in a class, and, and when he was speaking, he said, you know, if I give you an example, he said, if I took a cup, and he said, and you know, one cup represents my life, and another cup represents someone else's life, and he said... And I have this cup, my cup being, you know, half empty or whatever the case is. At the end of my life, he says, and this, this symbolizes that I have poured out everything that I have to pour out. And I've done all that I can do for the glory of God and to achieve all the things that God has. He says, but someone else will have a cup and their cup will be full at the end of their life. Which will mean what? It will mean that they have not lived to the fullness of what God desires for them to live. Amen? And nobody wants to die with a full cup in that sense. I don't know about you, but when I, the point is, is that in our lives, when I begin to measure and I begin to look at first and foremost, the greatness of the gospel and the greatness of what God wants to do within men, something should awaken in me that there is so much more to do. We were talking about the discipline of perseverance in our men's meeting and, we, and, and asking the question, if I died today, you know, would you be able to say that you fought this good fight? Now think about this for a moment. If you die today, Let's back up. If you died right now, would you be able to say, I fought a good fight? I've run a good race. I've poured out my life. Would you be able to say like the Apostle Paul did? And here's what we understood in the class, or at least I understood, is that that's a tricky question because the Apostle Paul was at the end of his race saying, I ran a good race. He was at the end of his life saying, I fought this good fight. He was at the end of his life saying that, and we're being asked this at different points of our lives. So here is the big question for you and for me. It is this. It is that if I I died today. 
If I died right now, would I be able to say I fought a good fight? If you say, no, man, because I'm not fighting hard enough, then fight harder. If you say today, if I died today, would I be able to say I've run a good race? Or would you say, man, I'm still tying my shoes? Then what I'm saying is stop tying your shoes and start running. Run hard the course that is set before you. Pour out all of your life. Pour out all of your heart for the glory of your name. No, for the glory of the one who died for you. For the glory of the king who shed blood on your behalf and on my behalf so that we could have this abundant life. Why does God want us to have abundant life? So it can overflow into the lives of others so we can be a, a, a gift and an offering that is Poured out unto God, but at the same time, it is poured out and overflowing into the lives of all of those that we come in contact with. And what Paul is saying here, he says, let each one examine himself, that he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Here's the thing. There are some people that will accomplish much more than you and I will ever accomplish. And it doesn't mean that they did more. It means they were called to more. Did you hear me? God is not going to measure my life based on the accomplishments of Billy Graham. You know why? Billy Graham and I are two different people. We have two different callings in our life. But when I examine my life in light of God's word, in light of what God wants to do, you know what I do? I begin to rejoice, but I'm also humbled because there's a lot of work to do. Amen? Here's the bottom line. I'm closing with this. When we carry our own loads, we enrich our communities with the grace we are experiencing. Be, be it in confrontation of sins of others, encouragement in helping others carry their burdens, or in the confession of our own shortcomings or sins and how grace is at work in us. Let me say this again. When we carry our own loads... Each one's supposed to carry his own load. And when we carry our own loads, we enrich our communities with the grace we are experiencing. When you and I carry the load that God has given us, when we are in prayer, when we are in his word, when we are in community, when we are in the gospel, when we are doing those things, what we do is we enrich the community. And it may be through confrontation of sin of others. It may, through, it may be through me encouraging you by letting you know, man, I haven't arrived. I still fall short. I still need to run harder. I still need to press harder. I still need to seek more. It is coming to that place where I don't ever become satisfied. That is how we enrich community. But if we're not carrying our own load, we can't enrich community. Are you hearing me? If I'm not carrying my own load, then I'm not going to enrich the community. I'm going to be a burden to the community. I don't know about anybody else, but I want to be a blessing, not a burden. Amen? Stand to your feet and bow your heads with me, please.